Never surrender. I want you to think about that. Surrender. It's something that in our, in our world, it's, it's not a good connotation, is it? it? It's kind of one of those words that we don't like to hear because it means you gave up, right? Which I always wanted to quit a team this way. There's no I in team. And I wanted to look back at him and be like, yeah, but there's an I in quit. And then just walk off. I thought that would be so cool. I never had that happen, but I wanted to. Quitting. Giving up. Surrender. I probably asked about 20 people in the last few days their definition of surrender. I got quitting. I got giving up. Raising the white flag. Surrender is one of those things we don't like to think about it. We don't ever want to be put in a situation where we have to surrender. So these guys, as I'm asking them, wave the white flag, give up, uh, submit to someone else I got, um, got some other things. So what else would you put as surrender? And I told them, give me the basic definition of it in two sentences. And you know how many of them tried to play the spiritual game with me? Oh, it means submitting to God in that sense. And I'm like, when we talk surrender, we ain't talking God, are we usually? No. It's about something else in life. But in the Bible, we see that we are to surrender to Him. That we are to surrender to His will. Our attitudes aren't great about it, but... Let me ask you this. Who has control in a surrender? The per, the surrenderer or the person taking the surrender? The surrenderee. Who has power and control in that situation? The surrenderee. The one that is taking the prisoner. The one that is taking the other one in. The slave, if you will. The one that's pulling that. That's the one that has control and the power in the situation. The next thing I want you to ask yourself, and here's the tough one. Why does a person surrender? Think about that right now. Why does a person surrender? You ever see like a World War II movie? And it's like the Americans are closing in and there's like six Nazis. You have your Germans about to give up. The Allied forces come in. And they surround them. And what do the Germans do? They give up. They give up. What do they do? They raise their hands. They wave the white flag. They say, we're done. We're out of options. We could fight you, but we're going to die. Right? We are out of, we're out of options and we lost control. We're not in a good situation here. We surrender to you. We surrender because we're ready to quit fighting. How many of y'all are at that point of surrender in your walk with God where you're ready to quit fighting? You're ready just to throw in the towel and say, I'm done. I'm done fighting against you. I'm done running from you. I give up. Some of you need to be in that point. But some of you might say you are and that you are totally surrendered 
But we're going to look at a few things today. The last question I got for you. Will a person stay surrendered if they don't trust the one that they surrendered to? In other words, Kyle's coming at me. I give up. I I surrender to him. He takes me into custody. Except I realize that I don't trust Kyle. I think he's going to beat me. I think he's going to abuse me. I think he's going to hurt me. What do I start doing in my mind? Planning an escape, right? And I believe there are a lot of people who call themselves Christians today who don't trust the one that they've surrendered to. Or they don't know them that well. They have this false idea of who the one they surrender to is. And instead, they're planning an escape. They're planning, how can I get out of this? What can I do? How can I send this SOS out so that my, my boys will come and save me? I think a lot of us are there that go to church during the weeks during the months, during the years, during the decades that you've gone to church. I think a lot of times we don't know if we fully trust the one that we say that we've surrendered to. Now, Ephesians 3.20 says, Now to him who is able to do exceedingly abundantly above all that we ask or think according to the power that works in us. Let me say it again. To him who is able to do exceedingly abundantly above all that we ask or think according to the power that works in us. Here's what I want you to take away. God is able. All right. Just remember that he's able to do all those things that you could ever imagine to even ask him. He is able. All right. So I want to just preface today off with that so that you will always go back to that. If you're not going to remember any of the verses that I referenced today, remember that one that he is able. He is trustworthy. If you surrender to him, He's a good keeper. And when you surrender to him, you are becoming his in his kingdom. Not yours, not your own kingdom. You are surrendered to him in his plans. So the first thing that we're going to surrender to is the stuff in our lives. What is the stuff in your life? What What is the stuff that you can't give up that is creating a wall or a barrier or a swamp or some sort of distance between you and the Lord. Some of that stuff may be what? Go ahead, shout them out. Telephone, TV, computer, what? Work, kids. Kids are stuff. Yes, they are. I need to throw my stuff away. So we have all these things that can get in the way. Relationships can be stuff that comes together. How many, if I got you a ticket, free ticket, to the LSU opening home, opening day 
football game, how many of y'all would rearrange all the plans that you got to get there? Anybody? Y'all are liars. There's only four of you in here, right? It's a Saturday. I'm not going to hold it against you because it's a Sunday, right? If I said I have tickets down to Death Valley, you're going to the LSU game, you're going to have a hotel. I'm going to put you in a hotel. I got a meal for you the night before. And then you're going to the game. You're going to sit on the seventh row on the 50-yard line. And I got your backstage passes before the game. And if they win, after the game. How many of y'all want that? Yeah, now we, okay, now a little more. The rest of y'all still lying just about. We're looking at that. But would you rearrange your whole schedule if I said, y'all, we're going to have a conference at the church on how to pray and be closer to God Saturday, and it's going to be three hours. Most of y'all be like, uh, and I say, I'm going to feed you lunch. You'll be like, uh, I'll give you tickets to an LSU game. Okay, I'll go. We have so much stuff in our life that separates us between knowing God, having a closer relationship with Him, and pursuing ourselves. We like to be entertained. We like to be distracted. Everybody loves to be entertained. I don't know a person under 40 that goes throughout the day without looking at their phone probably 40 times. Don't know that person. If you're that person, I need to meet you. I want your autograph, and you're going to tell me how to do it. All right? I don't know a person over 60, 68, let's say. It's a random number. Let's say 70. We'll round up. That doesn't get on the telephone once a day and call people and talk to them to find out what's going on and this, that, and the other. I'm going to check in here, and I'm going to find out what's going on. I don't know what gets in our way. I don't know of folks that spend their day at the house and don't watch TV or don't read a book. All these things are kind of distractions that get in our way. We've got all these little apps that we play on and that we do and all kinds of stuff. And they're distractions. It's the stuff of life. But it's not just the stuff of, of that. It's the materialism that it breeds. How many of y'all are satisfied with the phone that you have? Anybody? Yeah, because you just upgraded to a 15. I'm still going around on a stupid little iPhone 6. Can't wait. I just want to upgrade to a 10 and everybody will still laugh at me. Right? If you've had thoughts like that, you're probably materialistic. If you've had the thoughts of, man... She's driving around in a new car. It's about time I get a new one. He's got a new truck. It's about time I get one. He got a bass boat. I've never even had a bass boat. I just had a little rowboat, a little troll motor on it. Right? We become stuff-oriented. That stuff that we see is stuff that we desire. We start to covet it. We become materialistic, and we become greedy. Materialism and greed... We get envious of others that have it. And you know what that is? That sin that's in our life that starts to bubble out. We want, we want, we want. Did you know, I don't know the 
statistics since inflation got really bad in the last couple of years. But did you know that almost the two-thirds of the world lives on less than $3 a day? I want you to think about that. Two-thirds of the world, four billion people live on less than $3 a day. Y'all with me on that? How much does it cost for you to drive wherever you're going in one day? Probably $3. How much are the, how much is the food that you put on your plate in the course of a day? Probably more than $3. How much is the outfit that you're going to wear that day? Which, by the way, is probably not the same outfit that you wore two days ago. But for two thirds of the world, that's what they're wearing. When we think about stuff, man, we can become so greedy. we got to surrender it. How do we surrender the stuff that gets in the way between us and really knowing God? How do we do that? Anybody? Because it's one of these battles. we got to surrender it. How do we surrender? We go straight to the Father. We say, I have a struggle with this. You gave me a desire for you, and I want that desire for you more than I want that desire for Candy Crush. I want that desire for you more than I want that desire for a new car or to feel like I'm just as good as anybody else because of my stuff. I want that desire and that passion and that drive to be motivated to hit my knees and to just call out to you rather than to hit my knees when, uh uh-oh, I just dropped my phone. I got to have it. Someone might have texted me. Someone might have called me. I got to check Facebook. We got to surrender that because if we don't surrender... Go back to that Nazi soldier that I was talking about earlier that gets taken in. He voluntarily surrenders. The folks, the army, voluntarily takes him in and they don't kill him and they show mercy on him and they say, we're going to take you in and we're going to treat you with respect. We're going to feed you. We're going to house you. All that we're asking is that you're a part of us. And that guy sneaks stuff in. All this other stuff that he had, he wants to bring into the new camp. It's because he can't live without that stuff. Even though one of the conditions he surrendered to was that stuff was a thing of the past. And it's not coming with you in the future. Another thing that we need to surrender is status. The status that that we have and the status that we're striving for. In God's camp, it would be like that German soldier trying to pull rank on everyone. They're pulling rank. They're trying to show who they were. In our lives, we're all about status. We don't want to be left behind with other folks. And I tapped on this a little bit with the materialism stuff and the stuff stuff. Now... With status, what are we doing? 
We're trying to prove to everybody that we're better than we really are. I'm worthy, and here's why. And we chase this, and younger people chase it more than the older folks. The older folks, you're kind of like, I've been there, done that, and it doesn't matter in the long run. The younger folks, they're hungry for this. They're chasing it down, living like $40,000 millionaires. Why? Because I want the stuff, and I want the status that goes along with it. And if I have the stuff and I have the status, then I feel like I'm worthy and I have that self-worth and other people will respect me and they'll look at me and they'll be like, wow, he's got it together. She's got it going on. But what do we do? We carry that stuff around. And we, we marginalize others because of the status that we're trying to pursue. It's prideful. It's selfish. We compromise his word for gain of that status. Sometimes it means we're overly competitive. Do you ever see people who will not want to lose and they got to win at everything? I mean, we live in a community that sports are pretty big. And from the time kids are like before T-ball, right? We're pushing them out there on the base. But that's so often the attitude that people have because they're worried about the status that goes along with it. So what do we do? We push people to become something that God never intended them to be. Not everybody is going to be a professional all-star t-ball player. I'm going to break that to you now. All right? Or a professional athlete. God wants to use some people as a professional maintenance man. God wants to use some people as a professional lunch lady. And those dreams and those positions are just as important in God's kingdom as they are in your made-up reality of how things ought to be in your life. But what we do is we pursue status and we cling to who we ought to be and who we want to be, even though it's an unbiblical view of that. Don't. How do you surrender that? You go to them, hands up, and say, Lord... I've been pursuing my status instead of yours. I know you're the King of kings and the Lord of lords, and I confess that with my mouth, and I realize who I am, and you love me in spite of who I am. You want that relationship with me in spite of who I am. And I thank you for that. That's a powerful thing. We need to surrender our status. Here's what it says in Philippians Two, two, three, it says, Let nothing be done through selfish ambition or conceit, but in lowliness of mind, let each esteem others better than himself. Put others better than you. Let each of you look out not only for his own interests, but also the interests of others. Are you doing that? And then I'm going to show you the status that Jesus had in verse 5. Let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus, who being in the form of God did not consider it robbery to be equal with God. So here's Jesus, equal with God, who is making himself of no reputation for the form of a bondservant in the coming likeness of men. He, the king of glory, became a man for your sake. And being found in his appearance as a man, he humbled himself and became obedient to the point of death, even the death on a cross. 
Therefore, God was also exactly, God also highly exalted him and given him the name which is above every name, that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow of those in heaven and on those on earth and those under the earth, that Jesus Christ is Lord. I want you to think about that. That's the status that Jesus surrendered from eternal glory so that he could come to earth, a fallen earth, a sinful earth, so that you, who love your stuff and you love your status and your pursuit of your status, so that he could get you to say, I want to surrender my stuff. I want to surrender my status. Those are some of the things that you can give up and surrender for him. Now, the next thing I want to talk about in surrender is sin. And when we think about sin, I don't have to say a lot about this because everybody's got different sin that they struggle with. And there's probably a blanket that I could throw out there, a net that I could throw out there and catch a lot of you. Because believe it or not, your sin is not unique to you. I mean, it may be how you do it and how it comes out and all that stuff. It may be unique. But overall, there's probably just a handful of sins that everybody in this room struggles with on a regular basis. You ready? I'll list some of them for you. Number one, pride. Pride, the biggest thing that causes you not to surrender. I'm not going to wave my white flag. I will never give up. I will never give in. You don't have power over me. Pride. Christian pride is a whole different animal. Christian pride is, I got saved when I was nine and I've been to church ever since and there's no way I'm going to let anyone else know that I got issues and problems in my life because I'm never going to let on to it. I'm never going to let them believe or see or imagine. That's that Christian pride. That is what we have there as far as sin. Pride. What's another thing? Another major sin that people deal with. Go ahead, shout it out. Gluttony. We struggle with gluttony. We go to the buffet and we hit the buffet and we look at it and we think, man, I want some of this, 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 and this. And then I think to myself, you know what? They're charging me $12 a plate. I'm going to go up and get seconds, even though I feel full right now. And I go up and I get the seconds. And after that, I go, well, you know what? I might as well get the ice cream because it's free. And if I don't get it, I'm going to feel like I missed out on something. There's gluttony. There's pride. What else? Anger. Who said that? So mad at you. Why are you calling out my sin? There's anger, there's that wrath, right? And it gets you from zero to a hundred like that. Someone offends you, someone upsets you, someone says something, looks at you the wrong way, cuts you off in traffic. Ooh, the little vein. This is the only sin associated with a vein popping out of your neck or your forehead. Your face getting bright red. I am so mad. Most guys struggle with this, younger guys. I did. This idea... I've been done wrong. And this offense gets us so mad, causes us to sin. Why is that? Because it's an affront to us. We let that sin come out of us. Sometimes it comes out with rageful fits of cussing and screaming and yelling. Other times it's punching holes in walls and in doors and smashing cars. 
These are the things that people struggle with. What's another one? I'm going to keep going until someone finally mans up and gives it to me. Slovenly, laziness, right? What else? Envy. Give me another one. Lust. Thank you. Lust. Y'all, porn and lust destroys marriages. Can I just go ahead and say that? Get two people go, amen. That's because the rest of y'all downloading on your phone. You ready? Porn and lust kills marriages. Amen. If you can't say amen, you ought to say ouch. Because this is going to be something that will be in a marriage and has side effects for years to come. It's a destroyer and it causes you to do all sorts of things that are outside of the character of God. That lust, that desire. And then, greed. We want, we want, we want, we want. And we become greedy to the point where it changes our character. We become greedy to the point where we will do whatever it takes to get because we are never satisfied. We're insatiable for that stuff. Sin. James says, sin brings forth death. But I also want to tell you something else from James. James in 4, chapter 4, 7 says, Submit yourselves to God, resist the devil, and he will flee from you. How do you do that? you got to put on the armor of God. Do you surrender to the enemy? No. You never surrender to the enemy. What do you do? The Bible teaches us, you put on the whole armor of God. Breastplate, shield, sword, helmet, belt, sandals, right? You come at them, you stand your ground and you say, I'm here, you're going to shoot your flaming darts at me, we're going to go toe-to-toe, and I ain't going to buckle. That's the attitude you have to have against the enemy in sin. Now when temptation is coming at you, is it okay to run? You better. You better run from the temptation. And what are you running to? The Father. You run from temptation and you run to the Father. That's how you surrender the sin in your life. Next time you're faced with temptation and you see it, turn, run. Run to Him as fast as you can. Next time the enemy's pressing you, Satan, one-on-one, it's not you by yourself because the Holy Spirit dwells within you. The last thing I want to talk about is yourself. You've got to surrender yourself because nobody's greater in the world than the guy with two thumbs. This guy, right? I'm looking out for number one. I'm looking out for me at all times. And it's when I surrender that attitude, I can start being useful. It's not my preferences. It's not my will. Whose will is it supposed to be about? His will. It's not about people serving me, making me happy. It's about what? 
Me humbling myself, and like it said in Philippians, looking at others as more important than me and serving them. And it's when I do that, you know what happens? I'm surrendering myself, and I am becoming more Christ-like. And I'm able to surrender that. Typically, it's about me, my, and I, and that's the rule that we live by. That's the vocabulary that we use all the time to make decisions, isn't it? Next time you have a significant decision to make in your life, think about which three words you keep hearing. Me, my, and I. See if you ever hear Lord's, God's will, God, Lord, Jesus, Spirit. See if you ever see those words or names come up in your big decision or is it all about me, my, and I? The Bible teaches us that if we are to surrender ourself, we are to die daily is what it says in 1 Corinthians. The Gospels teach us that we are to pick up our cross and follow after Jesus. We don't like to think of the fact that we are called to surrender ourselves to Him. But Jesus said, if you don't do that, you aren't worthy of being called my disciple. And most of us in this room this morning would probably say, if I ask, raise your hand if you're saved, 98% of the hands will go up. But if I said, how many of you are truly, fully surrendered to Christ? If you were honest, a whole lot less would go up. Mm. We struggle to pursue Christ in surrender. We struggle to have the humility within ourselves to say, I'm done. I'm giving up the fight. I don't want to go any further. Not going to kick against the goads anymore. First Peter 4.8 says, Love covers a multitude of sins. And I thank God that it does. Because if that love didn't cover the multitude of sin, then I would be in so much trouble. I'm not here to beat you up and tell you, you need to surrender, you need to surrender, which I kind of am. But I want you to understand this. God is able and His love covers a multitude of sins. Does it mean you have to clean yourself up totally before you come to Him? Absolutely not. You come as you are. You come just how you am. You show up at Him with your hands held high, with the white flag in the air, saying, I surrender everything about me. I surrender all that I have, my stuff. I surrender all that I am, my status. I surrender my sin, which I take delight in, which I should not, and it breaks my heart and it grieves me. And I surrender myself. And let me pursue you wholeheartedly because it's your will to be done, not mine. Jesus, the night before he dies, he's in the garden of Gethsemane. He's on his face. He's praying, Father, not my will be done, but yours. Three times he prays that while he's sweating drops of blood. There's any other way, let it happen. But ultimately, he surrenders his will to the Father's will, because He and the Father are one. And He says, not my will, 
but yours be done. Thank goodness that he loved us that much, that he was willing to surrender himself and give us that love that covers the multitude of sins. That's what love and surrender looks like. That's what you've surrendered to. When you got saved, you put your hand metaphorically on his head and you said, I confess my sin into you. And you get specific with that sin. And I invite you today and every day of your life to confess that sin that is hounding you. Is it the lust? Is it the anger? Is it the greed? Is it the lying? Whatever it is, you confess that sin. You put it right, you put the hand right on his head in your mind and you just start confessing those sins. And you start saying, you who knew no sin became sin so that I could be the righteousness of Christ in you, Father. That is the love that covers A multitude of sin. That is the love that gave himself. And he was obedient even to death on a cross. You surrender to him. He is good. He is faithful. He is true. He is love. He is light. And in him there is no darkness. He paid for you as a ransom with his own life so that you could have eternal life. But what's he say? Take up your cross. Surrender yourself. Follow me. Be my disciple. He says, if you love me, you'll keep my commands. What are his commands? Love the Lord your God with all your heart, mind, Soul, strength, and love your neighbor as yourself. Surrender whatever's in your hand. Lay it down so that you can pursue Him. Not just skipping and jolly and free, but understanding you're going to pick up your cross and you are dying to yourself. It's where your life ends which is where your life in Christ truly begins, through obedience and surrender. He's worth surrendering to because He is good. He will take care of you. He will provide for you. But you have got to put everything else behind you and trust in Him, in Him alone. Trust that on that cross He became your sin. He died, was buried, dead for three days, and then he was raised from that grave. And if you believe that there's something supernatural because people don't just die dead for three days and walk out, that means his Holy Spirit is within you. And if his Spirit is within you, then you are a born-again believer. And if it's not in you, then you are not. No matter where you're at in your walk, it may be time to figure out what do I need to surrender?